Hey there, Pilgrim. Welcome to the world of the real man. We're hard-living, hard-drinking, gray area kinds of scallywags. We ride fast horses and we drive faster cars. We got 11 girlfriends and one on the side. Sometimes we even shoot folks with guns and abandon our families and we never cry. We never get diseases and we don't ask folks nicely for nothing. Want to know why? Ding! It's because we're real men. And now, inspired by Nancy R. Piercy's book, The Toxic War on Masculinity, we shall compare this notion of the real man with the good men in fantastical stories, and especially the best hero of all. Welcome anew to Fantastical Truth, the podcast from lorehaven.com in which we explore fantastical stories for God's glory. Usually we're a duo, but today we're a solo, and this is episode 179, How Can Great Stories Show Real Men Versus Good Men? I'm E. Steamer Burnett, the publisher of Lorehaven and co-author of The Pop Culture Parent. My usual co-host, Zachary Russell, is on an away mission again, but it's not a culture war this time. We talked about that in our last episode. And today, however, we're talking about a nonfiction book that touches on fiction. It's by a Christian apologetics author called Nancy R. Piercy. Maybe you've heard of her name. She's been doing some great stuff on the social media lately. She had written a book called The Toxic War on Masculinity that had a lot to do with the men that we meet in fantastical stories and other fiction. And I thought, well, I just finished the book, actually read it out loud with my wife, Lacey, and found this an absolutely fantastic and formative volume, kind of exposing a lot of the tropes that have scattered about the popular culture and a whole lot of our churches and a whole lot of our social movements and everything. A lot of reactions that people have for and against various ideas about masculinity and what it is. And of course, some themes of femininity mixed up in there. Who's gotten masculinity wrong? Who's gotten femininity wrong? How can we fix that? And then how can we overcorrect for the overcorrection for the overcorrection for the overcorrection? And then going back generations, all kinds of mess because we live in a messed up world. And this messed up reality affects our messed up stories, which is why I'm talking about it on Fantastical Truth, a fiction podcast that often uh, delves into these nonfiction issues behind it. But we must stop by first for our fiction sponsor, Enclave Publishing, returning champion for the top slot, this time with a new volume that's coming out today, September 12th, our release date. Destroy the key. Save her people and herself. Surrounded by war, Seo and her companions embark on a journey to seek help from a faraway empire and find Joray, unaware of the trap awaiting them. But what should Seo do with the key? Who can survive judgment, especially someone as flawed as her? Will hiding the key or destroying it save her people or ensure their defeat? Enclave Escape presents The Eternity Gate, book one in the new Threshold Duology by Catherine Briggs. It's available today, September the 12th, wherever fantastic books are sold. You can order now online or ask for The Eternity Gate at your favorite bookseller or your local library. It's also available in audio from Oasis Audio. Get more information in our show notes for episode 179 or go to lorehammond.com slash podcast sponsors to see all the sponsors for all of the shows. So gender wars like culture wars that we discussed in our last episode uh, make me hungry, although we're not going to have a gender war today, especially because I'm the only one here. I can only represent the dudes. That leads me to our concession stand. I'm not going to get into my man cave here eating the beer and chips. I'm going to eat healthy, hopefully. 
like a good man. I've been trying to do better at that uh, within the past several months. Uh, I am but one man. That is my first concession. I cannot speak to all issues involving sex differences. So if I say something that offends you, uh, that might be my fault. Uh, maybe it's not. Uh, with Zach not here, uh, I have to guess. Uh, but lately, I have been noticing many more examples of real men. By the way, that is in quotes. I'm borrowing from Nancy Piercy's phrase there. Kind of her sarcastic uh, example of that. She actually capitalizes it to the real man. Okay, so I'll put a little registered sign after it. I've noticed a lot of real men versus good men in fantastical stories. So I'm going to bring some of those out in this episode. And like my other solo shows, this one is just naturally going to feel more personal. You're going to get more Stephen flavored examples here and less Zach flavored examples or examples from listeners. I would love to hear though, the contrast that you've found of the real men as we'll understand it soon versus the good men. So feel free to email podcast at lorehaven.com or tag us on the socials with your favorite examples. I could list all kinds of other disclaimers, especially what we mean by toxic masculinity. I will point out that Piercy kind of subverts the usual uh, meaning of that by saying in her book title, The Toxic War on Masculinity. I think she does an absolutely terrific job handling those questions with a plum and biblical wisdom and also with an eye toward history and the cultural development of these ideas, not just going back to the 1950s like some Christian authors might do either as a good example or as a bad example of how men behaved then and how we need to fix that or get back to that. Take your pick. Uh, she actually steps back a few more centuries and focuses on how people have understood uh, the calling of a man and a woman uh, going back to the colonial days with particular emphasis on Western culture, United States culture, just because that's where she's from. And you got to limit uh, the understanding somehow. She handles all that at the front of her book. I definitely recommend you get that. Uh, she won't be on the show. I'm just pitching the book for free because I think it's a really good one. It's actually been a book that I recommend almost impulsively when these topics come up now. I will stop in and I will say, well, actually, you need to read The Toxic War on Masculinity. Uh, and hopefully that doesn't annoy people. But I find this book absolutely, uh, maybe even life changing in terms of how we engage with these issues, not just in fiction, but in nonfiction. So with that as background, I think we will proceed straight for chapter one. I'm sure there's some more concessions, but I'll, uh, I'll keep the, uh, the snack bar open as we go. Uh, lots of Chiefs puffs over there. Uh, lots of, because it's a Christian podcast, not beer, but uh, Welch's white non-alcoholic grape juice uh, and wholesome things that dudes can snack on, bros can snack on, or female friends can snack on. Uh, as we uh, head into the man cave here, chapter one, let's expose uh, the uh, toxically masculine real men that we find in stories. And for that, I'm going to give kind of from memory, although I have my hardback right close by in the studio here, uh, my summary of the toxic war on masculinity. Uh, it is, as I said, part theology, more anthropology, because it's the study of human beings uh, as uh, related to scripture. Uh, certainly theology, talking about God and the reason why he created men and women. Lots of great stuff in this book about the cultural mandate and the purpose for which God has created men and women different, distinct, but both reflecting his glory, although in different ways and with different roles. And Christians can debate uh, what those mean, especially in uh, particular settings like the family, the church and the world and particular historical eras. She does really well tracing how society has portrayed men uh, in particular, how society, at least in the United States, has understood what a man is supposed to do. 
And if you're a man or woman listening to this episode, this is such a crucial question that we all have to deal with. Who am I? What am I supposed to do? Uh, a man should be asking himself or a woman should be asking herself, what is a man? What is he supposed to do? Uh, as well as uh, obviously, who am I? What am I supposed to do as a woman? Uh, but I can't speak to that. Uh, like Piercy, uh, we kind of handle the issues of feminine identity alongside the issues of masculine identity uh, as a comparison and contrast. As she starts in ye old colonial days of American culture, uh, when people largely had this idea, going back to even the Puritan era, before the Declaration of Independence, when men were expected to be, in a sense, keepers of their own home. Wait a minute, what's that about? Uh, we hear that, and especially if you were a homeschooler, you think that that is the title of a uh, independently published homeschool resource with a very frilly cover, uh, and then maybe a bunch of uh, female names on the front of the author, and then maybe, you know, dad is actually the guy who wrote the book because he's actually the head of the household. Uh, but keepers of their home. This is the idea that husbands, fathers, uh, dare I say even patriarchs, back then in ye old colonial era, uh, managed their households along with their wives. And there was this whole homestead type idea. And, and Piercy's not saying this is the biblical idea, but it might be a little bit closer to the ideal where husbands and wives are running a business from their home uh, they're engaging in trade. They're hiring servants uh, for the in-house shop. Uh, they're training their kids because, of course, they had a lot of kids uh, to maybe take over the family business someday. And maybe they have a renter or two and uh, some people stopping by uh, in the town uh, that might help out uh, with an apprenticeship here or there. Uh, kind of a fun idea there. You can kind of use your imagination going through this chapter and this idea though, that husbands and wives were keepers at home, but also workers. There wasn't this idea that did develop later on of expecting the husband to leave the home and go out in the world and the wife to stay behind and do the cooking and cleaning and most of the child rearing. Uh, that came about later uh, after we went through some intervening stages as Piercy traces the history, because once we got the Industrial Revolution happening, then men did start to leave their homes and move into the factories. You were going to the steel mill. Or, or the chocolate factory, or you were going out to some other location and building stuff and people were getting more specialized. This often separated men in the world from their families at home. So this idea began to develop uh, that husbands, fathers need to go out in the world into the real world as real men, helping forge the fires of industry, as Saruman might say in the movies. Uh, while the wife stayed home and raised the kids and the husband would come home and he would touch base with his family and still kind of run the place, but mostly be away from the place. Uh, really cutting this story short here, uh, people began to think as Piercy traces it, that this meant that women were more spiritual than men. After all, they were in the domestic world, uh, which was nice and soft and pretty and safe and spiritual. And the men were out doing the hard work, tilling the earth, uh, running the coal mines, uh, all of that extremely manly, strong stuff. Uh, this cultural expectation began to set in uh, that women were the soft spiritual types and men were the crass, gross, uh, dirty types doing the dirty work out there, not nearly spiritual as the wives. From there, there's a host of overcorrections. There's this idea developing that Women are now supposed to tame the men. They're supposed to domesticate them. And there's some legit terrible history happening where husbands are going out, uh, they're getting drunk, uh, they're stopping by the tavern, which is kind of this imposter for a local church. 
You still got men running the churches, but they're wondering what in the world are we going to do? It's mostly women around here now, and the men are going out and getting drunk. Then you had historical movements like prohibition and women's rights and uh, all of that stuff. Lots of fascinating historical stuff, but it's not the Historical Truth Podcast. It's a Fantastical Truth Podcast, so I am definitely summing up. But fantastical stories got their start with one extremely interesting cultural development right around the turn of the century. For example, uh, those who keep track of vintage science fiction and some of the older, one might even say geek classics, fantastical classics from the early 20th century. If you had to guess, from what genre did the science fiction genre arise, at least in the United States? Yeah, you had some original sci-fi by H.G. Wells, Jules Verne, and folks like that. But the father, one might say, of the modern fantasy genre in the U.S. was Edgar Rice Burroughs. And Edgar Rice Burroughs was coming out of a tradition started by the Western genre. I didn't know this until I read the book, or if I had known it, I forgot. But Piercy actually talks about going to a yard sale and picking up a copy of the first Western ever written, and it was called The Virginian, released in 1902. And it's fascinating how she describes the plot uh, that she says, quote, laid out the pattern that would be followed by all other Westerns, end quote. Uh, this is a pattern that's kind of informed by a lot of the clashing traditions and overcorrections for the gender wars and the expectations going on there in the late 19th and early 20th century. There's this idea then that, uh, no, we're sick and tired of this whole idea that women are supposed to tame the rough men. Uh, we men, we're sick and tired of that, people would say. Maybe men ought to be wild. They ought to be barbarians. They ought to be, you know, some guy in a loincloth uh, swinging around in the jungle uh, who is a beast at heart. And yes, just when I was asking about, hey, what about Tarzan? Piercy does get to that, and I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, first, we had the Western genre, though, and at least some of these ideas, the more negative side of it, uh, is this notion that the heroes are going to be loners and gunmen and cowboys and outlaws or lawmen. Either way, uh, rough-and-tumble folks uh, who uh, never aim to miss and are out there in the prairie uh, living the wild loner life. Uh, they're not settling down like those more weak characters, the side characters like the farmers uh, or the ranch hands or the settlers, the fathers, or the leaders, the guy who runs the general store. Like that guy, he's never the cool guy. The cool guy is not the guy who stays in town and builds a store and tries to earn an honest living. Uh, that guy is at best uh, the victim who needs to be saved by the loner who rides into town and gets appointed sheriff. And then he goes out and he really cleans up the place. Then he rides off into the sunset while the harmonica plays and some little kid is saying, Shane, come back. Uh, Nancy Piercy goes into some of those stories. Uh, you may have seen some of those movies. A lot of them got turned into movies, but they were books first. And of course, a lot of those stories are not fantastical, but they heavily influenced fantastical tales. Uh, the idea of Star Trek, for example, started off as a pitch for a wagon train in space. I think wagon train was an actual show. Uh, the tropes of the Westerns got adapted after the space age began in the 40s with all the nuclear testing and the UFO rumors and all the cool technologies being built out in the desert Oppenheimer style. Westerns faded away and the space age is here. Even Toy Story 2 kind of addresses that with the idea that Sputnik goes up, the Russian satellite. And then suddenly children didn't want to play with cowboy toys. They wanted to play with space toys. And yet there's still these archetypes. Uh, the Western hero becomes the space hero. And then you also have folks like Tarzan swimming, swinging around in the jungle. 
Uh, Piercy describes this, uh, well, maybe one of the clearest examples of the whole men are supposed to be wild at heart uh, in the person of Tarzan, who, of course, informed a lot of other heroes that we get. Uh, even some of the superheroes were informed by some of the Edgar Rice Burroughs heroes, uh, like John Carter of Mars uh, or Tarzan of the Apes. This wild beast and heart idea, I think, even continues today with some superheroes. Uh, just two Marvel heroes, for example, that come to mind are Wolverine and Deadpool. These guys probably exemplify the idea of a real man. You know, he's not a bad guy. Like, okay, Deadpool may be like an anti-hero, and Wolverine is kind of an anti-hero, but they will kill you. They don't have a no-kill rule like some of the other heroes that people like. Uh, they will get all stabby-stabby, uh, and they'll cuss, and they will drink. These heroes don't settle down. They're more like the, uh, the old West loner hero. Wolverine will get out his claws and he will be a real man. The kind of uh, lampooned figure that I had at the top of the show. I'm not actually as familiar with Deadpool because that's just not my fandom. But I see the archetype and I do see, frankly, the types of folks who are huge Deadpool fans. Uh, they seem to really resonate with these characters because they feel that this is a rough guy, a guy who isn't afraid to get dirt under his long adamantium fingernails. Uh, this is the guy who is going to make right right, uh, even if he has to break things or break the law in order to do it. And some of these images are still around, and frankly, they're not my favorite characters. I think they're better than this idea we may have in the back of our minds that are haunting us, especially for dudes. These characters may be better than a weak man or a passive man, maybe the type of person who we don't want to become or the type of person that we remember from the church back home or the family back home. But at best, I would say that these characters are good as a middle stage. Uh, I would not want to grow up to be like Wolverine. In fact, a lot of these characters are actually sold as tragic figures. Uh, they're often surrounded by people who behave more like good men who are disciplined and who are not struggling with their anger issues or who are not constantly cracking wise all the time in order to cover up their pain. Uh, the story itself may actually be on your side in communicating the idea that the real man must eventually grow up. Uh, it's not good to be a weak man or a non-man if you are made to be a man, but a real man is a middle stage. You're eventually meant to go somewhere else. You are meant eventually to become a good man. And I actually find some hints of this even in the aforementioned Star Trek, the original series. I was trying to think about Starfleet captains and whether they count as the real man uh, or a good man. And I think one character who falls right in between, uh, but who arguably moves from one to the other, especially in the original series, he may kind of swing back and forth based on who's writing the episode, but is the original uh, Captain James T. Kirk, uh, played by William Shatner. People like to make fun of him, but the more you watch Captain Kirk, especially in the best uh, original series episodes uh, or in the best of the original six movies, I really like Captain Kirk. Uh, I really like the earnestness uh, that William Shatner gives him. He's since been played by two other actors, but in the best written episodes, like Kirk is an extremely thoughtful person. He's familiar with theology. He's familiar with uh, mythology. Uh, he's very well-trained in the classics. He is a good future secular humanist captain with maybe a little streak of respect uh, for original Earth monotheism, especially if the censors for the original 1960s TV uh, were making him be like that. 
Uh, I really like Captain Kirk. I respect him as a real man sometimes, but turn into good man. Uh, Kirk likes his crew. He is a protective sort of guy. Uh, he takes his starship where he goes and he takes responsibility largely for his mistakes. Uh, he's a more developed version of that Western hero who rides into town, cleans up the town, and then moves on into the sunset. Uh, Kirk takes his crew with him into the sunset, uh, and he's much more of an honorable captain. I think the same is true of a uh, captain from another star franchise, Star Wars. A lot of people like Han Solo because they think he's a real man. And I would say that in the first uh, Star Wars movie, episode four, uh, Han Solo is much more like a real man. He's a smuggler. He flirts with girls. Uh, he doesn't seem to have a lot of respect for Luke Skywalker's seeming naivete and earnestness. But by the end, uh, Han Solo famously has his little story arc where he tries to fly his ship off into the sunset, but then he just has to be a good man and come back and help save the day and help Luke Skywalker defeat the Death Star. After that, Han Solo is a little bit rougher on re-entries. He's trying to pursue a more virtuous uh, vision of masculinity. But by the end of Return of the Jedi, I think his journey is complete. Which is why, by the way, a lot of people, and if Zach was here, he would tell you, a lot of people did not like it when they rolled all of that back uh, for the Disney Star Wars sequel, starting with Episode 7. And then suddenly Han Solo is back to being a real man. He's abandoned his wife. He's abandoned his son, who turns out to be the villain of the piece. And he's torn up with a lot of regrets. And a lot of people just don't like that. They wanted to see a real man become a good man and stick with it. They wanted Han Solo and Princess Leia to still be together. Uh, and they weren't too fond of this idea that Han Solo would have just uh, abandoned his son to the dark side of the force. I did like the moment where he comes back and uh, and tries to respect his son, but bring him back to the light. And of course, something terrible happens as a result of his efforts. So maybe you still got some good man in Han Solo. But I think it illustrates the dangers of having a character who switches back and forth between a real man and a good man. That's more like the double-minded man uh, that scripture warns about, the double-minded man that is unstable in all his ways. We don't mind a male character, a hero or anti-hero being unstable if we have hope that someday he might be more stable and become good. But if he switches back and forth, that's not the type of person you want to trust in real life. And I think a lot of women in particular can say uh, terrible stories about the men that they've trusted who seemed like a real man, you know, stronger than maybe a weak man that they imagine or that had, had that they had to deal with. But they ended up being double-minded or worse, abusive, like violent, or, or just the type of person who abandons you, who thinks he's got to be a loner and can't get out of the habit. So he rides off into the sunset and leaves you in the town uh, to manage the ranch all by yourself. Not great, not cool, not godly not a good man and not even an actual real man. He's a fake quote, real end quote man. We do not support that sort of thing on fantastical truth. Uh, we believe that people ought to discern these stories uh, rejecting the idols that are in them, including the idol of the real man. And yet also look for the common grace that is in other stories, such as pictures of a good man uh, that reflects real world, good men. And ultimately uh, the truest best man, Jesus Christ which leads me to our second sponsor, once again, The Pop Culture Parent. That's my book, along with Ted Turneau and Jared Moore. It's a nonfiction book about fiction that helps you, as the parent, train your kids to explore popular culture for the glory of God, not just as entertainment, uh, not just as distraction or moral edification. You turn on the TV, you plunk them down, and you hope the thing is family-friendly enough to not cause a lot of trouble later. 
Popular culture is not just a distraction. It is a gift of God. He's given us the ability to make these stories for his glory and for our good. And so we can't avoid popular culture, nor should we want to. Instead, we need to train our kids as disciple makers to engage these stories, to find their idols, to blow them up, to compare them with Jesus and how Jesus answers the truest and best longings of the story and to find the good stuff in the story. Not just no bad words, but good stuff like pictures of good men uh, who uphold virtue and who outgrow the whole real man stereotype. All that is in the Pop Culture Parent, uh, the resource that was published by New Growth Press a few years ago. You can get our links in the show notes for this episode 179 or go to lorehammond.com slash podcast sponsors. All right, moving to chapter two. This is the fun part because I don't like talking about men who have issues. I'm sure you don't like to hear about those either. Uh, You've probably had experience with those types of men, or maybe at some point you have been that kind of man. Uh, If you're struggling with being a fake real man or trying to figure out who you are meant to be as a man, I find a lot of hope in this chapter to explore our stories, biblically virtuous, good men. And I think the top example there, obviously, not just because it's a Christian podcast, but because we do believe this for real, the first and best good man is Jesus Christ. Absolute top example, the best man ever. Uh, He also happens to be God, both fully God and fully man at the same time. That's biblical orthodoxy. And that's not just something that we believe because the Bible says so, but because it is true We believe that the good man really does exist. He is out there. All the problems that a man has, even when he's trying to be a good man, Jesus just easily sidesteps. Of course, there is that whole pivotal truth that he died for the sins of all who believe in him and resurrects the new life. But there's also that truth that he led a perfectly righteous life. He never committed any single sin, not for any reason. He was never abusive, never had an inappropriate, harsh word, was respectful to women, helped train other men to be men, not just his apostles, but maybe other men that we don't even meet in the Gospels. Uh, Jesus was perfect in every detail. He was compassionate. He was righteous. He had that perfect balance of truth and grace. When he needed to be firm, he was firm. When he needed to be peaceful and understanding, he was that too. He never hit anyone. He never did anything wrong. I think that is just absolutely mind-blowing, and we could just stay there and talk about and speculate about how Jesus' goodness would have manifested in everyday life. I think, of course, The Chosen does a pretty good job with that, uh, which is very difficult to pull off because any even good man now is going to have flaws. And all the good characters I list in the stories coming up, like the best part about them is that they are not just pictures of Jesus. They are pictures of Christians. I do like Christ figures in my fiction, but I think increasingly I favor Christian figures because that is a character, a hero that I can relate to. That is someone who reminds me of myself, but who is also striving to be better. Uh, A good man, for example, is going to care for people, but he's also going to defend the good. I was kind of inspired by our last discussion, uh, Zach and me, about culture wars and whether Christians ought to just make stories in order to own the libs. We talked about that in uh, episode uh, 178 of this podcast. Uh, definitely required listening to go back there. And this, uh, this topic kind of flows from that one. A good man is going to be a good warrior when necessary, but he's not going to be a mercenary. He's not going to fall into the real man trap of just wanting to get into a fight for the fight's own sake because something's gone broken deep in himself and he's trying to get to that but it's all dysfunctional and snarled up and a mess down in his soul. So he doesn't really understand the purpose of a fight 
to defend the good. I think that many uh, superhero characters uh, do exemplify this. And of course, there's a lot of hot takes and superheroes are kind of falling out of favor, at least in the box office now. But I'll mention in passing uh, Superman, Spider-Man and Batman, like three of my favorite heroes who illustrate uh, largely. I mean, Batman will sometimes have issues and Superman's turned evil in a few timelines. And uh, obviously, Spider-Man had that whole uh, episode with the symbiote uh, portrayed. uh, I guess coming up, there's going to be a whole video game now. It should be interesting to see. Uh, how they portray Peter Parker in the Spider-Man 2 for the PS5. Uh, That should be interesting. Uh, By the way, I'm putting that on my Christmas list. But altogether, though, the original versions of these heroes are Christian figures and sometimes even Christ figures. You know, they'll they'll die to save the city every once in a while, and it's all very sad and glorious and Christ-exalting even by accident. But I do like these heroes better when they're behaving like Christian figures, like Superman, for example, Uh, He's at his best, uh, not when he's being portrayed as this uh, perfect alien, distant man being who always smiles and always gets the cat out of the tree. Uh, I like Superman better when he's struggling, uh, when he's almost uh, pursuing an invisible actual hero just off screen whom we cannot see. Uh, Maybe this ideal of goodness that he grew up uh, being taught uh, on the farm in Kansas. Uh, Superman's at his best when he is trying to be Superman, but is struggling because the world misunderstands him or some other hero is out to get him. Like I love those stories the best because now you have not nerfed reality. You are showing a good man hero in a world that is often not so good, who now has to fight harder for his virtue, who has to fight to be the symbol of hope and also inspire others. I think the same is true. I mentioned Captain Kirk earlier. Uh, Captain Kirk is like this a lot. He's trying to pursue the ideal of the Starfleet captain or admiral or whatever. Uh, You don't always see like the manual uh, or whatever inspiration that Kirk is following. It's often hidden off screen. Uh, The same is true for other Starfleet captains that I really enjoy. Uh, Captain Picard, of course, uh, commander turned Captain Sisko from DS9. Uh, Captain Jonathan Archer from the Star Trek Enterprise prequel series. Or Captain uh, Christopher Pike from the other Star Trek prequel series. Uh, He's my new favorite, Uh, not just because he has uh, the hair of a real man and a good man all at once. But I do stand Captain Pike uh, from Strange New Worlds uh, because he's just written very well as a good, upstanding Starfleet captain. He will take risks every once in a while, but there is something awesome about his nondescript basicness. He's just a good, solid basic but also extremely interesting starfleet captain uh and the way that they they have uh, portrayed him in strange new worlds uh actually puts a twist on the the canon ending for uh captain pike uh, that we learned about in star trek the original series uh spoiler alert uh he ends up being limited to a wheelchair uh, and yet ends up getting a kind of eternal life type picture uh, as sort of an honor for his service and uh, spock has uh, an extreme devotion to the previous captain of the enterprise just a good man. And I almost don't want to go into how the series portrays him as a good man. Uh, You know it when you see it. You know it when you see it. Whether it's superheroes or Star Trek uh, or samurais, uh, good men stand out. I recently mentioned in our Culture War episode uh, the example of the repentant samurai character, Himura Kenshin. Uh, He's from the Roroni Kenshin uh, anime series, both of them now. Uh, There's actually a remake going on now. And there's a series of amazing live action films as well. If people try to tell you that anime doesn't translate well to live action, 
Well, maybe not until recently for the Americans, but the Japanese have been doing a pretty good job of that. And there are five movies so far, and I definitely recommend those. I've only seen the first three, but we're going to see the next two. Uh, Kenshin is a repentant samurai. Uh, the story is actually a historical, fantastical uh, action drama uh, set in a time when Japan was emerging from its medieval period and having a lot of Western influences and technology moving in. There's lots of history involved with the story. But in short, the idea is uh, this is someone who was recruited, an extremely skilled swordsman who was recruited to be a manslayer uh, during the revolution in Japan. And he ended up assassinating so many people that it eventually broke him. Uh, and he ends up swearing off violence forever. He swears off manslaying, but he still carries a sword. But there's a twist. Uh, the sword is specially manufactured so that the sharp end is not on the slashing side. The sharp end actually faces him and somewhat unrealistically, but it's an anime. So you can kind of get away with that. Uh, he basically goes around just beating people extremely severely with the flat end of his sword uh, in order to just kind of knock them out uh, or perhaps, uh, you know, break every bone in the evil swordsman hand uh, so he can never uh, kill people with his own evil sword ever again. The idea is that Kenshin now wields the sword uh, not as an instrument of death, but to defend life, uh, a sword for the cause of life. And I just love the idea of that. And yet the story also pushes him uh, very fiercely and emotionally. Uh, if the tougher villains are coming against him who want to coax him back into uh, his life of bloodlust and manslaying, uh, then the drama gets even more intense. And you wonder just exactly how far is he going to go to defend his new ideals and to defend the people he loves instead of falling back into that old life of manslaying. Uh, I mentioned earlier uh, live action anime or anime turned into live action. And this is where I get to talk about One Piece. Uh, that's the live action series that just arrived on Netflix. And yes, faithful listeners will know that I had sworn off Netflix in the past uh, with uh, basically a boycott complex. Well, One Piece tempted me back because if they were going to get it right, if Netflix was going to do something good and not make it all agenda laden and such, uh, then I wanted to reward that. And what do you know? The thing actually worked. Uh, this, if you're not familiar with it, is basically a story set in a fantasy world where super-powered pirates uh, reign over the seas. And there is this one pirate who is executed by the Marines, who are the uh, one-world military of the one-world government. There's this one pirate named Gold Roger, uh, who just before he died, uh, dared all the people watching to take to the seas and find his lost treasure, the One Piece and whoever finds it first gets to be king of the pirates. And so brave men all set out on the seas uh, in order to round up their crews and discover this fabulous treasure. Well, one of those brave men, uh, there's, there's real men, you know, fake real, of course, the, the real in quotes there, uh, who turn into pirates. But then there's also good men. And what I really like about the anime and the live action is that it is very clear that you can find bad men among the pirates, and you can also find bad men among the marines, but you can also find good men on either side. Uh, the pirates, however, of the series are a different kind of pirates, and their captain is named Monkey D. Luffy. Monkey D. Luffy is basically what you would get if you combined Peter Pan with Mr. Fantastic <laughs> with Captain Jack Sparrow. Uh, he ate a special fruit, that's how you get superpowers in this world, and he developed uh, elastic powers. 
He is a dreamer. Uh, he wants to find the One Piece and become King of the Pirates. And what Monkey D. Luffy does in both the anime and the live action is he rounds up a loyal crew. And everyone who ends up on Luffy's loyal crew is a good man or a good woman. It's a shonen anime. Shonen means uh, young man. So it's mostly men. And of course, disclaimer, like everybody gets exploited visually. Like the men are walking around without shirts. Uh, the women, sometimes the same. Uh, they're wearing stuff they ought not be wearing if it was real life. Uh, and if you had uh, issues with that, by the way, if you're trying to be a good man and not a real man, just imagine a bunch of very hardworking animators who are drawing those things. Uh, and that will just remove the temptation <laughs> all but all together. But anyway, uh, Monkey D. Luffy rounds up a loyal crew, including Rono Zoro, who is a stoic, rash, ambitious uh, swordsman who wants to be the top fighter in the world. Uh, yet he is so fiercely loyal to his captain. Uh, one of my favorites is Usopp. Uh, he's a guy with a long nose in the anime, but there's no way they can translate that to live action. So they don't even try. Uh, Usopp is a uh, teller of tall tales uh, from a village who gets recruited uh, because despite him being basically a coward who makes up all his exploits, like, he actually really does want to be a good man, not just a real man who pretends. And his goal is to become a brave warrior of the sea. And you see him come up with all of these uh, inventive ways to be a warrior and all of these uh, performative uh, methods of fighting people and just kind of scaring them and doing a lot of uh, wild theatrics instead of uh, actually attacking them with brute force. Uh, Usopp is a lot of fun. Uh, we recently got uh, all the action figures for all of the Straw Hat crew. That's the crew of these pirates, the Straw Hat pirates. Uh, and Usopp was the first one that we got because uh, really, uh, technically, I guess he's my favorite. And then the last one is Sanji. Asanji is interesting because he's kind of that hybrid character in the manga and the anime. Uh, Sanji is kind of a pervert in the anime, but they insist on having it both ways. Sanji's a pervert who just loves him some girls, but then he's also the chivalrous knight who will never hit a woman and who also def wants to defend the girls. Uh, this is where you realize this is a cartoon. This type of person does not exist in reality. Uh, this is a paradoxical human. Uh, just as you would never get this, uh, this amazing chef, uh, who's also a kickboxing champion who eventually levels up and develops the ability to, uh, kick, uh, so magically that he can actually kick against the air and effectively fly. Like this is, uh, a fantastical personality that cannot exist, but insofar as, uh, the live action is concerned, yes, Sanji is kind of flirtatious, but they definitely decrease his, uh, wandering eye, shall we say a bit. Uh, and increase uh, the more stylistic way in which he flirts with people. And they're going to make him a little bit more of a noble version while still being the same character. So that's that's the first four male members of the Straw Hat crew. There are others uh, that we could talk about, but it's not the Anime Truth podcast. It's a Fantastical Truth podcast. I just wanted to point out uh, that this was another uh, way that I was inspired by stories that showcase good men. Men who largely do respect women, who have ambitions to be pirate king or a brave warrior or the top swordsman or who would want to discover uh, the one ocean hidden out there somewhere in the world where you can find all the ingredients to make all the best recipes. That's Sanji's goal. You get the men characters here who are ambitious, but who also show compassion, uh, who fight for reasons beyond the simple fight itself. They're not like the stereotype that I talked about uh, at the top of the show. They're not going out picking fights. They're not going out there to be bad pirates, to pillage for its own sake. 
Uh, they're not interested in the fast cars or the fast vehicles just because they somehow equate speed with masculinity. Uh, all of those things, they believe, are means for other ends, means for virtue. Uh, in One Piece, whether it's the anime or the live action, they get this right. Uh, there's this idea, of course, it's common to show in an anime, that you ought to give up everything to become the best or to pursue your dream. Uh, definitely a streak of radical individualism here. And yet One Piece subverts that over and over. There is one thing that gets in the way of your dream. You may proclaim to the heavens with your fists raised how you're not going to let anything stand in your way of your goal to become king of the pirates or the best at so-and-so, but the story shows otherwise. There is one thing that will get in your way, and that one thing is this, faithfulness and love for your crew, for your found family, for your, the Japanese term is, nakama. Uh, fans of One Piece will use that word all the time. Uh, it played big in the Netflix marketing, and I think rightfully so. And I love the idea. It basically means close found family or crew, but Nakama might even translate to something like the agape love uh, that the Bible talks about. Uh, these are perhaps friends that stick closer than a brother, uh, as the scripture would describe it. Uh, and there's no romantic love here at all or imposter of romantic love, but it is something that maybe feels very similar. A friend who sticks closer than a brother is your nakama. That is the person who, if this person was going to die or suffer tremendous harm, uh, you would give up your dream, your ambition immediately to care for this person. You would die to self. The pirate king would give up his goal in order to fight for his nakama. Or often in One Piece, like the big arcs are about arriving on an island and then discovering that there's some terrible supervillain in charge of it or some other terrible crisis uh, that the Straw Hat crew and any of their good pirate allies need to intervene. Suddenly there's a boss fight to have. Uh, and recently in the One Piece anime, uh, they went full on messianic imagery in an extremely wild, crazy, cartoony, but also epic way. And that just describes One Piece to a T. Uh, there's a villain that Luffy has to fight uh, who's basically a dragon. And I won't give a lot of spoilers here, but we basically do get this whole uh, Jesus picture, the idea of the hero who sacrifices himself uh, and who comes back to life with a level up and enough said there. Uh, it's a great, crazy, zany, epic moment that I think just illustrates uh, how pervasive this idea of the good hero, this good savior character, this messianic idea constantly sneaks into stories no matter what culture they're from uh, and one piece is definitely no exception and neither are many other stories uh, that show good men uh, often fake real men who are trying to be good uh, or just good men who stay good and then need to fight to stay good uh, despite all the other villainy that they face in the world well we can talk more about good men versus real men as well as stories that uh, endorse good men uh, in our third sponsor that's the lore haven guild once again this slot could have been yours but uh, you if you were a potential sponsor weren't fast enough so i like fast things as a real man so i rushed in here and grabbed it the lore haven guild is our exclusive discord community you can only get in there by subscribing free at lorehaven so go to lorehaven.com slash subscribe Subscribe, then get the exclusive invitation code, and then you can portal or beam into the Lorehaven Guild community. Uh, there's about 250 heroes in there, but an extremely welcoming place. We are looking for good men and good women uh, to explore these stories for the glory of God, uh, which includes our ongoing book quest. Now we do book quests every month for the Beast of Talisend. That's going on through the month of September. 
And then I think I'll just go ahead and reveal uh, what our next book quest is going to be uh, because the book is technically out of print. So it might take a little bit more effort to get it. Our next book quest for October spooky season will be a paranormal historical horror slash thriller slash theological treatise on the problem of evil called Koenig's Fire. This is an amazing book, uh, an award-winning book, actually, uh, that released in, I think, 2010, and it actually won the award in 2011. And to get more information, see the link in our show notes. We're going to start Koenig's Fire. Once uh, The Beast of Taliesin is over, I'm going to be leading that book quest myself in early October. And you can get more information by going to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors or see the links in our show notes for episode 179 so you can join the Lorehaven Guild, a community of real men, I'm sorry, good men and good women who explore stories for God's glory. That leads me to chapter three. Just a few more closing thoughts uh, about how a real man can become a good man and how some of the best stories show this happening. I think though for this, uh, I've already talked a lot about uh, some of the real men characters that turn into good men. So maybe I'll kind of bring it back closer to reality for this one. Maybe just talk a little more personally about how this has worked in my life. I think every person is on a different journey. Uh, you've been informed by the men you've grown up with or the men that you've seen in stories. Like some of us really like anti-hero characters. Some of us really like the loner type characters or, you know, the violent man where might makes right. Uh, some of those I think can be helpful as a temporary measure to get away from some other bad ideas. But I might refer back to Nancy Piercy's book and just the impression that my wife and I got reading through this out loud too. It's the only way to read for a book like this. We got the impression of this constant swing between extremes. Uh, Marion Jacobs and I were talking about uh, JK Rowling and some of these other cultural conflicts that she's gotten involved in. That was a few episodes ago. Uh, and she really mentioned something I think we should take to heart. Uh, this idea of avoiding extremes, but not just to not be extremist, but because God has something better for us than these extreme human views that are just swinging wild from one side to the other, uh, constantly so focused on what has gone wrong in the church or family or society that we put our hands over our ears and eyes and we just say to ourselves, anything but that. And then we're vulnerable to people selling us stuff. Like back here in these historical eras, like pastors and religious leaders and pop culture leaders and politicians and all these other influencers were coming along saying, hey, you don't want to be like that kind of man. I got something different for you. Uh, you don't want to be a weak man. You need to be a wild man. You don't want to be a wild man. You want to be a tame man. You don't want to be a tame man. You want to be a wild man. It goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth all the time. And there were still good men going on throughout there. And Piercy uh, takes great pains to point this out. But we're trying to understand then how we got this idea now of toxic masculinity. I think there is a problem, and Piercy is so good at pointing this out, of focusing so much on the perversion of the idea of masculinity or femininity for that matter, uh, that we think anything but that. We want anything but that. And at that point, we will be vulnerable to buying anything but that. And then the next generation will have to do it all over again, trying to fix the other wrong version of masculinity that we got sold in order to try to fix the one that we didn't want to be. Um, I think to some extent, we may need to go through some of that stuff. There may be no other way out but forward, but we've got to push through to the end. I think that people err so badly if they focus so much on the bad men around them or the fake real men that we do not focus on God. 
uh, God, the perfect creator, who, by the way, uh, identifies with male pronouns for his good purpose, who has created men and women as originally good human beings. Very different, but with a lot of shared characteristics between us. I think we need to get past some of the stereotypes, not all of them, but some of the stereotypes that come from sources that are not the scripture. We need to stop confusing the two, the cultural influences that we've grown up with or that we don't want to be like at all ever, uh, and just go back then to the scripture and focus first on God, the father, the creator who created us originally good, who does use the term father, capital F for himself, knowing, by the way, that some people would have some real post-traumatic issues with that. And yet he defines himself that way. I've had to fight through that myself. Um, And then also focus on Jesus. Uh, the the eld, the older brother, capital B, uh, the perfect and actual real God, but also the second person of the Trinity who is also perfectly a man to this day, by the way. Uh, Jesus lives to this day as both God, the second person of the Trinity, three persons, one God, uh, but he's also a man, actual man. Like if you were there, wherever he is in heaven, beside the throne, you could touch him. I think someday we will actually be able to touch him. He will be always locked in a physical man incarnate. Uh, And Jesus alone is the perfect example who is also the perfect redeemer who saves people, all who would believe in him, who would repent of their sins. Uh, Only in Jesus can we have that hope of turning from a toxic man, getting past the whole notion of a real man and becoming a good man, starting to become a good man now, but eventually uh, destined to be redeemed as a perfect man Uh, Very similar to him, although he will still always be the best. Uh, We also focus then on the Holy Spirit. Uh, The third person of the Trinity uh, is given the unique task of spiritually regenerating people. He, the Holy Spirit, uh, changes dead, stone cold, dead hearts uh, from death to life. He changes bad men, dead men into good men, Uh, not just to real men as the world defines it, but to good men, uh, good men. Uh, as scripture would define it. Uh, That's all my first step there. Uh, Secondly, I think uh, to change from a toxic male to a good man, um, at least what happened to me, I wouldn't call myself toxic, uh, but there is a time where I remember just being kind of a lackadaisical sort of guy. I mean, I was never really a traditional man or real man as uh, surrounding culture would define it to this day. Like I'm not super into sports, um, but I do understand what they're for. And I support those who like sports. And guess what? I think I've even broken the habit of uh, rejecting it all or being flippant about it is all just sports ball. Um, I think that, yeah, sports can become an idolatry and hunting and fishing and all that stuff can also become an idolatry. And lately uh, there's a bunch of gym bros running around saying that the only way to be a good bro is to be a gym bro. And I just reject that. Like I'm, I get plenty of working out because of my day job and I don't really need to be a gym bro right now, but I don't oppose or be flippant about those who are finding uh, their path toward being a good man uh, through enjoying these gifts. Uh, Those gifts can be idols, but so can turning against them. Uh, So I'm trying to reject all those kinds of idols, uh, idols, if I can help it. I think what helped me help me too is just plugging into great nonfiction books that apply some of the ideas of scripture to real life. Uh, Just following after Someone, even a a distant figure who appears to be a good man can really help. Uh, If you're following like a celebrity pastor who preaches the gospel and who is obviously applying that consistently to his real life, 
uh, and who is in communication with other brothers who can help him be a good man and not just a super pastor. I think that can really help. But it especially helps to plug into a local church. Uh, don't just sit around listening to podcasts about uh, good men or even reading books about good men. You got to see it in real life. There's just nothing like seeing this in real life. Uh, recently, um, my wife and I have been going to, we've been members in a, uh, a local church in our area for quite some time. Uh, this local church, uh, just in the last spring, uh, merged with another church. Uh, we had the pastor, they had the building. So it was a good match. Uh, and so far, it's working out really well. But what I found really interesting is that uh, one thing that our smaller local church uh, did not have as much of is older men, like grandpa type guys, um, more mature men, like retirees and folks who may appear on the prayer list a lot because they have a lot of health issues. But spiritually, they tend to be pretty advanced in life. And I just felt such a um, refreshment of spirit uh, joining into this church where there's older brothers there, uh, spiritual older brothers, uh, who maybe don't have quite the background that I have. You know, they may not listen to this podcast, in which case they won't hear all the great compliments I'm giving them behind their backs. Uh, but they may not read the kinds of books I have. They're not going to watch a live action anime on Netflix. You know, they may be familiar with Star Wars, but they can't name all the Starfleet captains. That's okay. That's okay. Like these are aged saints. Uh, who have gotten to a place that hopefully I will eventually be, uh, and they are donating their time and resource to the resources to the church, and I just find it extremely refreshing uh, to be around them. And I think that just can't be beat, even if they're kind of boring or so it may seem. Uh, dudes, brothers, I think you should join a local church and hang out with the old guys. Uh, so long as they're not weird or have inherited too many of these real man stereotypes, uh, if they are good men, then there just is nothing uh, to beat hanging around with these kinds of brothers. Uh, you may also find wisdom in uh, books, as I mentioned, these uh, these common sense books by Christian pastors and leaders. But I think a lot of brothers now, Christian brothers, are also finding some wisdom in secular men's books. Uh, there's this whole uh, kind of renaissance going on with uh, people trying to be not just a real man, but a good man. A lot of people will confuse the two, uh, but I think that the discerning reader can find some wisdom uh, in books and podcasts and such by men who maybe even like mythology and archetypes uh, and philosophy and things like that. Uh, but who are maybe not far from the kingdom of God and hopefully will just take that next step and realize that the mythology points to the real good man, the Savior, Jesus Christ, and, and they will finally follow uh, where that mythology was always going. So go further, though. If you're tapping into that area, uh, I think it's wise to go further uh, than some of these, uh, these good men who are doing podcasts but who are not necessarily uh, Christians. Uh, fourth, uh, something that helped me a lot uh, when I was single, uh, pursue calling, like find out what you're good at. And that's that's really rough. And frankly, I'm still working at it. I talked about a day job earlier. I'm basically doing Lorehaven half the time and doing my day job the other half. So it's creative work. And then there's stuff that uh, actually pays most of the bills. Um, but that is better now, at least for me, uh, than it has been in the past where it was mostly uh, a hobby doing this creative stuff. So it may take a very slow time and, you know, ask me in 20 years whether or not it worked for me, by which I mean, did this turn into a, a full-time job? But then again, what if 20 years later, I'm still doing something like this? Uh, I think I could live with that. So find something uh, that you could live with. Uh, not necessarily something that you absolutely love all the time, because anything even that you love that turns into work will be work and there will be 
very hard days about it, but find something that you're good at that you could live with and that would hopefully provide you with a nice living and that would make you into more of the man that you want to be according to the scripture. So that if it is God's will, then uh, you will eventually attract someone wonderful uh, whom uh, you'd want to spend the rest of your life with. And then she would also be falling in love with you for the good reasons. And then she would be a good woman just as much as you're a good man. Very simple details here. And I feel like I'm doing a very late uh, Father's Day podcast, but uh, that's where we ended up after I finished the book. Uh, Drawing to a close here, uh, fifth step. Uh, This relates more to fantastical truth proper. Watch how you feed your imagination. Yeah, men need to watch what they eat and all of that. You know, you want to have a good physique and all of that and blah, 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 whatever the podcasters say, at least the good ones, uh, hopefully follow them. But also they're not saying enough about watching what you put into your imagination. Now you can go too far with this. You can become a legalist. And yes, Jesus warned against viewing the things in the world as your main threat when the sin comes from within and all of that. But the reason why you watch what you eat is because your body, your imagination will convert the junk food into imaginative calories, uh, stuff you don't need, too much salt, too much sugar, uh, stuff that is either useless or that can actually clog the arteries of your heart and can harm you. For example, if you're watching too many movies about the real men, um, that will train your imagination in some very wrong directions. Or maybe you just watch stories that are making fun of men or not taking them seriously and they're just junk food. They might seem harmless, but I think if you're going to enjoy that stuff, some of the more flippant stuff, uh, you also need to train your heart on stories that show good men uh, or men who are trying to be good, who are trying to be virtuous heroes, a little bit more like Jesus Christ. Whether it's a superhero or a super pirate or a Starfleet captain or any of the other genres you enjoy, uh, get the good stuff. Feed your imagination with protein to help you get strong. Uh, six, always guard against the real man stereotypes. This is kind of related, uh, but I'm thinking specifically not so much about the fantastical stories, but about the people who are trying to sell you the real man. Like even some of the podcasters and the authors and the influencers, like some of them are not trying to help you be a good man, more like Jesus. Uh, they're trying to sell you this old notion of the real man as uh, someone who exists just to get as many girlfriends as possible and drive fast cars and do hard drinking and then somehow right off happy into the sunset. Yeah, it doesn't work. The thing deconstructs itself. Uh, and if you're going to feed your imagination with the good stuff and watch out for the guys, whether they're politicians or social media influencers or podcasters or anybody who's selling you a fake version of the real man. Uh, Maybe it's just me getting older, uh, but I find that I personally despise that kind of stuff as at best useless and at worst, uh, almost a satanic parody of what a man is supposed to be. Uh, Satan does not like men or women, uh, but it seems maybe just because I'm a man and this is what I notice, but it seems that he is these days uniquely attacking the image of man. Uh, man, the first sex that God did create, uh, I believe he created Adam and Eve on the same day, day six. Uh, but, uh, man predates woman by at least a few hours. And it does seem that Satan in some ways will go after the, the idea of manhood and try to get rid of that. And as a result, that hurts women and men. And I think women now are especially hurting, uh, because men have been poisoned, uh, by fake ideas of men. So stay away from those idols. Uh, maybe get strong enough to engage them, 
uh, to watch those movies and shows and know exactly what they're trying to sell you, but don't buy it. And finally, seven uh, in you know seven simple rules because I'm the new podcaster who's going to get into these issues. Uh, seven simple rules for how a real man can become a good man. Um, always pursue uh, what one ancient church confession holds is the chief end of man. Uh, there's this question in the famous catechism and asks, "What is the chief end of man?" And of course, this applies to women too. But I like it for the sake of an audience of bros. I like it that says, what is the chief end of man? Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. If you're a man and you want to know what your job is, what your chief end is, your purpose in life, the answer to the ultimate question of your life, your universe, and your everything, what is that answer? Your chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's it. It is so simple yet so complex. There's so much wrapped into that little seemingly simple answer, and it's fleshed out in the Holy Word of God. Glorify God, that means your job, your prime directive, is to be a worshiper. You are meant to be a reflection of God on his earth. You're meant to be a king. Uh, Some of the memes, actually, bros are calling each other kings, and someone does something good or real. And a bunch of other brothers will arrive in the comment sections and they'll say, hey, you're an absolute king, absolute king move. Well, there's an idol version of that. Uh, Jesus is the only capital K king. Even Kanye West, when he was almost behaving himself, knew that. But you are meant to be a lowercase k king. If you believe in Jesus, then you will reign as a lowercase k king under him, the uppercase k king in the future new heavens and new earth. That means that you are made to glorify him and enjoy him forever. Yes, you're made for happiness. You're made for flourishing. Uh, You are made for a good life. All of God's people are made for a good life of absolute fulfillment and finding their purpose, no longer being lost in all these imposter versions of men or women, uh, but chasing after the real, real man, the God-man Jesus Christ. Uh, reigning champion right now of the universe. And then someday we're actually going to see him reigning as he is now. That's the hope, I think, uh, that helps expose the nonsense that we get from the real men we find in the real world and in stories. But it also helps us explore uh, the biblically virtuous good men that we find. First, obviously, in the Bible, in the person of Jesus Christ, but also in uh, Old and New Testament heroes and also in the good men that we meet around us and in the best stories that we can find. And that is also the eternal hope that motivates the change. Uh, The reason that we can, if we have been chasing after the real man idea, we can get rid of that. Uh, We can expose that for the idol it is. And then we in Christ can become good men, God worshipers who look forward to reigning on the earth and who serve people, other men, of course, but also serve the women around us, loving them as sisters, not as conquests avoiding all of that nonsense and glorifying God forever. All right, good men and good women go on missions together for the glory of God, which leads me to our mission update at Lorehaven. Uh, You can look for a new article this week from uh, Tisha Messing, who's a homeschool mom uh, who is raising some godly men in her house and uh, also a godly daughter. And she has written an article that we're releasing this Thursday after release date called How to Help Your Teens Engage Dystopian Tales. You can find real men and good men in dystopian governments, and that may be something you have to train for sooner rather than later. Where are the best stories? Uh, Where are the great meanings in those? 
what is going on in the dystopian genre. This article will uh, touch on some of those questions. Uh, this Friday, too, uh, we are reviewing a new fantasy novel, A Rot of Silver and Ravens. It's a retelling of a lesser-known fairy tale. You'll want to look at that review coming out on Friday. And, of course, you can subscribe free to Lorehaven to get updates uh, that you choose for all of those new items, and you can join the Lorehaven Guild and engage in our book quests. Uh, we'll also post updates uh, whenever we release a new podcast episode, which is on Tuesdays. Uh, that includes a couple of episodes ago. I mentioned the one that we did about uh, the Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling, another uh, podcast that made for some fascinating listening. So we, uh, Marion and I actually explored that in our episode 177. And one of our listeners, uh, Jason, emailed podcast at lorehaven.com with some thoughts that I will excerpt here. Uh, Jason says, quote, I'm writing this as both a Christian and as a fan of things many mainstream churches easily frown upon, including J.K. Rowling. When I tell people what I love to read and do, I don't give trigger warnings or nuances for why I enjoy them. So I don't explain how I can enjoy the fiction of someone with clearly opposing political views than my own. Otherwise, what I've read would be down to perhaps a third, and I've read over 800 books so far. If someone writes a good story, I'm reading them. Uh, break quote here. Yeah, Jason, that makes sense. Um, I do think, though, of the scripture that says, uh, let not what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. And as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. Uh, you yourself, of course, know your church better or the people around you. You know, is this going to be a good faith discussion or are they just going to look at you like you're doing something bad, uh, even though it is no sin automatically to read a book like this, even if you end up disagreeing with it? Uh, a good man can engage with these stories, even if they have bad ideas in them. Uh, it's not the story that's necessarily going to poison a mature Christian. It's going to be the sin that a bad story draws out of your own heart. And at least in my case, uh, Harry Potter himself and the good men in that story also count as amazing examples of good men, not real men. You know, Arthur Weasley, that there is a good man. You know, Dumbledore, for all his faults, uh, he turned from a real man into a good man. Uh, and it's villains like uh, Malfoy and Voldemort uh, who illustrate this uh, gross, uh, twisted version of men. Rowling herself has some very interesting uh, ideas about gender roles and getting rid of the fake real men who have hurt her in her life uh, and embracing the good men uh, that uh, I believe as a Christian, uh, God has providentially gifted her and that also lead to some of the great characters in her stories. Uh, let me finish what Jason wrote, though. Quote, with that said, anti-Rowling trolls are hilarious in how they rant and rave about how she's anything but human, but fail to provide one single tweet where she's shown actual hatred against any community. They themselves show to have less tolerance than most street preachers I encounter, easily more hypocritical than the churches they rail and cry against. The usual response I get is either a general, it's all over her Twitter, X feed, or get blocked. Uh, end quote. Uh, great thoughts there, Jason. Uh, I could uh, go on at length about this, but uh, I think it behooves us to say that I think Rowling is a great example of a good woman. Um, women have suffered so much. I'm using generalities here, but there are many women uh, who will talk about the abuses and nasty behavior that they've seen from the men in their life. Uh, if you don't believe me, uh, start Googling the phrase. I think I heard about this on another podcast. Google, start Googling the phrase mom's boyfriend. Uh, and you can see the terrible stories that people are sharing about what happens when mom's boyfriend comes home and does terrible things that we won't get into um, just now. But Rowling, I think, has pursued uh, not some... Uh, raging, angry response uh, to toxic masculinity. She is aware that this exists. Uh, she will speak against it. Uh, but she has become not a real woman, 
uh, who don't need no man, uh, she has become a good woman. I, I don't know if she's a believer. Marion and I talked about this, uh, but there's something absolutely inspiring and refreshing uh, to hear her speak from a position of recovered vulnerability, and yet who also uses the very real influence and cultural power that she has uh, to do, I think, some overall good things. Uh, you may not d- agree with all of her views. I certainly don't. Uh, but she uh, does, I think, um, act as, I think, a good warrior uh, for good causes overall. And that's something that a Christian can appreciate, uh, whether or not she herself is an actual Christian. At least she can be a good woman. Uh, and then, as uh, Marion mentioned in that show, I think we can pray for her then uh, that she will go the whole way and that she will find uh, good womanhood. Uh, not just for its own sake or to uh, do great social work or something, uh, but she then will find flourishing womanhood as a flourishing human uh, by aligning herself with the creator of both men and women, Jesus Christ. Next on Fantastical Truth, hey, speaking of good women, that makes me think of Alice, you know, the heroine from Alice in Wonderland. She's going to be the star of our next episode because we must ask ourselves, what if 16-year-old Alice fell into that famed rabbit hole and discovered Wonderland is actually a dystopian world where you need to survive the annual and deadly Wonderland trials and then confront the looking glass illusion. Sarah Ella, the author of these two dark whimsical fantasy adventures, is joining Lorehaven in our next episode to explore how fictional stories reflect curious realities. And now, be a good man or be a good woman. Don't get them confused. A lot of people are getting them confused. But in God, we find those distinctions defined, not just for our good, but also for his glory. And I would look for examples of good men and good women in the stories that we share together as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth.